We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, welcome to Blue Wire. After you finish listening to this awesome Blue Wire podcast, make sure you check out the other pods in our Blue Wire family. Okay, I know, you're probably wondering, how do I do that? Well, it's simple. Go to iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts and search Blue Wire. Ta-da! They will all be there, so have fun listening. This is Mike McGlinchey of the San Francisco 49ers, and you're listening to the Candlestick Chronicle. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee with me again. It's the content czar over at Niners Wire on the USA Today Sports Network. Kyle Madsen, what's going on, dude? How's it going? It's going, man. Uh, just watching a little bit of baseball and talking a little bit of Niners. It's basically how my life is going to go for the next uh, four or five months. Yeah, so the draft is almost three weeks away. We're recording this on a Wednesday, so we're uh, we're down the home stretch, I guess you could say, um, I, or as some would call it, maybe the dog days leading up to the draft. I think this is a time of year where you get in, into like the first and second week week of March, where people are maybe uh, overanalyzing s- certain prospects, and uh, and maybe we have too much time. To, to think about this, at least as it relates to maybe the first round of the draft. Um, this is where, where we get to the point where it's like paralysis by overanalysis. Right. But, you know, I, I think it, it's a good time for us to, to take questions from, from people on Twitter, listeners, readers. Uh, and so that's what we're going to do. It's going to be a mailback episode. Um, we're going to try to hit on a bunch of different topics, mostly relating to the draft. Uh, other, other things maybe relating to depth charts, playing time, team building, roster construction, all that fun stuff. Uh, so why don't we get started with with a little bit of news first. The 49ers hosted Kentucky pass rusher Josh Allen 
on a two day visit. Uh, I want to say it was Tuesday and Wednesday. He posted to his to his Instagram story pictures of the Niners Super Bowl trophies, uh, a picture of, of the picture of Ronnie Lott. Uh, obviously, he <laughs> there was a story that that came out. Uh, that he had to Google who Ronnie Lott was when Ronnie Lott gave him um, an award. I forget exactly what the award was late last season. Uh, but also the 49ers are not going to bring in Rashawn Gary, Mich- the Michigan pass rusher. Uh, that was reported by Matt Barrows of The Athletic. And that's kind of notable, I guess. I mean, it's not really surprising. Well, first of all, I should say we don't know what exactly that means. The 49ers presumably met with Gary at the Combine. They have a good idea uh, of what kind of player and person he is. And maybe they they decided that they know everything they need to know and that it's not going to require one of their 30 allotted visits. So it could signal, too, that they're just not interested. And and I think Gary might be a candidate if the Niners were to trade down. And, and we're going to talk about that scenario a little bit with one of our questions. But overall, I think when you look at the, the production and and sort of Gary's skill set in terms of how he would fit relative to the other 49ers defensive linemen, I don't think he really fits. I think he's sort of a Solomon Thomas clone in that he's hyper-athletic, but maybe not someone uh, who was all that productive in college. And it would surprise me if the 49ers did take Gary. Um, And I don't think it would be a pick that would be uh, really highly regarded, if I'm being honest. When Gary first got mocked to the 49ers several weeks ago by, I think it was Daniel Jeremiah, I texted some of my my friends in the industry who are draft people and asked them like, hey, is he an edge prospect or is he a, a three tech? Because he, he played edge at Michigan, but he wasn't exceptionally productive there. And with his size and athleticism, it, it feels like he would he would be better moved down to a three tech and, and universally. And then I asked on Twitter as well, everybody said he's a three tech, not an edge. And so I think that positional ambiguity makes it makes it tough to justify him going to the 49ers because they like you just mentioned they already have a Solomon Thomas who uh isn't isn't great off the edge and is probably best suited as a as an interior guy yeah and you have Eric Armstead and Kentavious Street right um and Ronald Blair so I think you know if the 49ers do go edge which I think you and I are both expecting them to go edge it's going to be a natural defensive end somebody who can play outside and probably kick it inside every once in a while but not somebody who's better inside than they are outside because the 49ers already have plenty of those guys. So speaking of edge prospects, let's get to our first question. It's from uh, from Box Kev. Um, shout out to uh, Noisemakers ENT. If you were in the if you were in the uh, the North Bay area, hilarious. Right around the 2004 to maybe 2006 or 2007 time period, you might know of Noisemakers ENT and, and everything they did for uh, for local the local hip hop scene to bring it back. But uh, I love Box, Kev, Box Kev asks, <laughs> why Nick Bosa convince the skeptics he is undoubtedly the correct pick for this franchise? So I didn't really under, I didn't realize that there were so many skeptics about Nick Bosa because I asked like, are there skeptics on Twitter? And then a bunch of people jumped into my mentions and were like, yeah, he wasn't all that productive. He's not an explosive athlete, blah, blah, blah. And I, and I, I sort of went back and had to reevaluate. I was like, no, I still think he's he's probably the best yeah. defensive player in this draft. Nothing anybody said to me uh, made me change my mind. Uh, so it was just interesting. And I know you wrote a, a long, a long piece about why the 49ers need to take Nick Bosa. So why don't you take me through that and 
and then uh, I'll follow up with some interesting uh, combine measurements and, and comparisons that we can talk about. Yeah, I'll let you do all the athletic numbers because I know you you have them there in front of you. But the fact is, is Bose is plenty athletic to play the edge. He showed on tape for three years in college, and granted, one of those is super truncated, so two plus years in college that he can effectively get into the backfield off the edge. Uh, and and that was his position. He wasn't, you know, sometimes on the edge and sometimes he was inside. Like he was an edge rusher, uh, pure and simple. He has all types of ways to get to the passer. He is a a well-rounded pass rushing prospect who checks all the boxes physically. And that's 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 just it. And if if I I I feel like a, a skeptic and, and perhaps I'm wrong. But it feels like the skepticism comes from two places. Uh, one, the people who want to go against the grain because there's no consequences for it. And if they're right, they can then tout that as being a draft guru because that's just kind of how the internet works sometimes. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's just okay. That's where your skepticism comes from. And then B, like he doesn't look that cool in a football uniform. Like he just kind of looks like a generic football player in uniform. And I think that affects people's draft evaluations as well. I know for me, it did a lot. Uh, <laughs> even, even a few years ago, I'd, I'd see a guy and I'm like, yeah, what fifth round? What are you talking about? That guy wears a visor. That's a second round pick. Uh, <laughs> it's the Sean Oakman thing, right? Right. Exactly. Like that guy looks great in a football <laughs> uniform, put him out there. And so right. I think those are, those are two of the places the skepticism comes from, but I'm not sure how you put on tape of of Nick Bosa either at the combine or in college and say, you know what, don't like him. There's 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 just not a lot. I subscribe fully to the tell me what he can do, not what he can't do. And there's a lot of stuff that he can do that would help the 49ers. Yeah, so he's really strong, right? Like they're the edge players. Typically, a lot of people want to talk about explosive athletes. And being able to win with bed, bend around the edge. And and I think he could definitely do that. But he's also like just impossible to move. And his brother was the same way. Um, and and so, I mean, this idea that I think what people do, too, is like they'll turn on YouTube and, and maybe they'll just watch highlights or maybe they'll watch an entire game. You can do that uh, and, and watch an entire game and, and all, you know, a guy's like 40 or 50 snaps in a game, whatever. And I think some people think because he isn't a player like Nick Bosa, who's widely regarded as, as a top prospect in this draft, if he's not getting a sack or close to it every single play or getting a tackle for loss on every running play, then like he's not doing anything. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's just, uh, I mean, a, a guy can have double digit sacks, right? And he'll have that. So averages out to one a game, just like putting, putting it as plainly as I can, like sack numbers and pressure numbers and all this stuff. Like it's going to compile over the entire breadth of a season, right? Like what pro football focus does, which, which I really appreciate is they talk about like win rates, right? Like how often does a player win and does he do it at a productive enough clip? Even if it's not play to play, does the entire body of work uh, turn in, like turn into something productive that you can use. And I think all the metrics definitely point to Bosa being a good player. The eye test for me says Bose is an elite prospect um, and and knowing how good his brother Joey has been uh, sort of reaffirms that idea for me. Um, and then there was this idea that he's not athletic enough and he's not explosive so, enough. That's wild. 
and I just didn't get it. Like, okay, he ran a four seven nine forty, which is fine. I mean, it's not slow. It's not particularly fast. It's fine. And people think that that forty time means maybe he's not. Uh, he doesn't have the same amount of upside. Do you, do you know how often uh, a defensive lineman is going to run? a meaningful 40 yards in a game this season. That's like their, their long speed is actually going to matter. Like maybe once. And and, th- and when, it, when, it, when it does happen. So the one that always sticks out to me and I'm sure sticks out to a lot of Niner fans. And there's probably people listening right now who know exactly where I'm going. The Justin Smith play uh, in Philadelphia to force a fumble on Jeremy Macklin to seal the game back in 2011. Uh, he had to get way down the field for that. And then, the only other times it happens, another one sticks out to me. Daniil Hunter on the Vikings made a ridiculous downfield play. But when that happens, it's like it stands out. It's like, holy crap. Like that was a that was a not bizarre, but that was a unique play because defensive linemen aren't supposed to do that. So right. a straight straight line speed is not that uh is not that important. And something else I think you're gonna get to in a second here is 10 yard splits for defensive linemen are way more important than the, that 40 yard time. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we obviously talked about this a lot with the combine and and things like that. These, these times are basically just con- confirming what you know, or, or confirming the idea that you need to go back and maybe reevaluate a prospect, right? Yes. So Bosa's 4.79 40 time is in the 77th percentile, which is relatively good. Honestly, if Bosa ran a four eight five or a four nine, it wouldn't really matter. Yep. Because you know, if he runs five flat, then you have to say, okay, is he hurt? Uh, does he does he just not know how to run a forty fundamentally? When you know you have to, it's right, a unique there's a technique to it. There's a technique to getting out of the block. There's a technique to the way you breathe. There's a technique to the way you lean into the finish. There's these guys practice running the forty um, because it's not just like lining up and running. So, you know, if, if he were to run really slow, then you say, you know, maybe we need to reexamine the medical situation a little bit more. Maybe we need to talk to talk to him about this. But any for me, like if he ran a four five or a four seven nine or a four nine, like it doesn't matter. That's all within the range of, OK, it basically confirms that he's still good enough, like athletically to that, that we don't really have to worry about it. So uh, getting into the minutia of a defensive lineman's 40 time is just a little crazy to me. And to think that you know, his 40 time is going to alter the perception from some people is a little crazy, particularly when you're, you're talking about 10 yard splits, which there actually is a real life correlation to productivity in the NFL. Um, and his 10 yard split at the combine was certainly notable. So, so why don't we get into that first? Can I, can I just, can I put a bow on your point yeah. real quick? Go for it. Nick Bosa's draft stock would not have gone up any. Like, if the Cardinals are taking Kyler Murray, they wouldn't have changed their mind had Bosa run like a four-two-five. <laughs> right. Like, it's just it, unless they want to, unless they want to give him carries or make him return points or something. Right. Right. Exactly. So, yeah. a forty time is not that important. End of end right. of scene. Right. So I was initially looking, and and the combine results that I found had Nick Bosa with a very respectable, if not elite. 10 yard split time of, of one six zero and one six five, which both, you know, equate to a lot of the, the NFL's most elite pass rushers. I was corrected uh, by Daniel Jeremiah himself, the end of the, the draft analyst on the NFL network on Twitter, who said 
uh, Bosa's time of 1.55 was official. So let, let me go through the 10 the yard split times just to give you a little context about how explosive the 1.55 time is. Uh, Aaron Donald ran a 1.59. Uh, JJ Watt, a 1.71. Two good Chris players, Jones, by the way. Chris Jones, who had a ton of sacks this year with the Chiefs. Uh, 1.69. He's obviously a defensive tackle. Demarcus Lawrence, the the Cowboys super athletic edge rusher on the outside, 1.62. Von Miller, 1.57. So Nick Bosa's 10-yard split was faster than Von Miller's. Uh, Daniil Hunter, 1.58. Miles Garrett, the first overall pick two years ago, 1.63. TJ Watt, 1.61, 1.61, Khalil Mack, 1.55, so Bosa's a hair faster than him. Uh, Joey Bosa, who's a good player, obviously, 1.68, and Josh Allen, just for the sake of comparing him to, to the, the consensus other top pass pass rusher off the edge in this class, he was 1.61. So Bosa, if you're just, if you're not saying, you know, if you think he's not explosive enough, then I would point you to 1.55, 10-yard split and say, he is more than explosive enough, and he might be the most explosive edge rusher prospect that we've seen if we're only going off the 10-yard split time. And I would say his his combination of strength, uh, technique, you listen to him talk and he mentions, uh, you know, he, he, he talks about specific moves that other players in the league have that he tries to emulate. Mm-hmm. And he did a really good interview that was on actually Daniel Jeremiah's podcast this week. They, had, they did a full Nick Bosa uh, an episode dedicated to him and they talked to his parents and his, his high school coach and, um, and his college coach and, and Nick himself. And I mean, just to, to, to hear him talk about different moves that different NFL guys make and, and the things that he wants to replicate and, and insert into his game. I mean, I just think it's all there for him. And I think to think that his 40 time not being great, or the fact that he didn't, measure in like Miles Garrett or Jadavian Clowney or run as fast as Montez Sweat. I, I think you're you're missing the picture, which is that Bosa is an elite prospect. And if there is a concern, it might be durability. I don't think it's production and I certainly don't think it's athleticism. Right. And that's where if if you're listening right now and you're you're a Bosa skeptic, I, I encourage you to let us know on Twitter like what exactly other than he's not athletic enough the do are 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 you seeing because uh Chris and myself and a lot of people smarter than both of us uh, believe that he's the top edge rusher on the board and in many cases the top player on the board um and it's been that way for a long time yeah yeah it's, it's, uh, even though he was hurt for most of the year and sitting out it was still the case so yeah as as a true sophomore after dominating USC in in the Fiesta Bowl which I encourage everybody to go watch who think who thinks he wasn't productive enough. I would put that game on, but you know, a a year ago he was expected to be the first pick in the draft. I think going back to high school, he was widely expected to be a first round pick. Um, And some of that might've been on, on the name on the back of his brother, just because, you know, they're physically very similar. Obviously Joey was a good player at Ohio state and has turned into a good player with the chargers. Um, But this, this is like, this isn't new. Nick Bosa isn't suddenly coming on the scene like other players have, like Solomon Thomas, for example. Like Solomon Thomas, midway through his last year at Stanford, was a fringe first-round prospect, and then he started gaining a little bit of steam as the season went on, and then he has a really good bowl game, 
And then all of a sudden he's a top five pick. Uh, Bosa, Nick Bosa has been talked about as a top five pick going back to high school and nothing that has happened, maybe aside from, you know, the core muscle injury would really should really change that belief. So I think, um, I think we, we probably answered box Kev's question well enough to the point that, I mean, everyone, everyone's entitled to their own opinion. Sure, I, I don't, absolutely. I, I'm not going to tell people just my opinion is the only one that matters, but I have a hard time watching Nick Bosa and, and looking at, looking at the numbers and how they match with his production and thinking that he's not the best prospect defensive prospect in this draft and not the best pick for the 49ers. So do you want to, do you want to ask the second question? Yeah, I'll get to the second question. Uh, this is from uh, Niner JD on Twitter. Over or under on number of players John Lynch drafts that have injury concerns this year? Number is one and a half. So the first question that I had when looking at this, does Nick Bosa qualify? Right. D- we need to define injury concern. I would say yeah. I mean, have it, just playing three games last year and and having significant surgery and missing your entire season. I would qualify him as a uh, as an injury concern guy. So I'm going to go over because they're probably going to take somebody maybe in the fifth or sixth round that might be a second or third round prospect who's dealing with something um, because they've made a habit of that, even though it hasn't worked out so well for them. Um, and they, they did it in free agency too. They're taking a lot of injury risks. So I'm going to go over. I'm going to say it's two guys if you include Nick Bosa. I think they're going to go, yeah, I, I, I think over as well because it feels like, especially at cornerback, where if there's a cornerback who slides down the board because of a torn ACL or uh, he hurt his ankle in a pre-draft workout or whatever, I think cornerback and maybe linebacker are two positions where the Niners can afford to effectively redshirt somebody. And I think if you get a top flight prospect, not top flight, but if you get a good prospect who falls down maybe a round later than he's supposed to, that's where the Niners are going to see value and try and jump on it. So yeah, give me over one and a half. If we, if we include both, I think under one and a half, if we don't. Right. So we're, we're both on two. Yeah. Uh, so okay. So if if Jakai Polite's there in the third or fourth round, the pass oh. rusher out of Florida, who's had a ton of hamstring issues and and obviously didn't interview well at the combine and has been considered sort of one of the losers, quote unquote, of this entire draft process. If he's there in the third round, would you take him? No. No. I okay. Oh man. I. Mm. Because you're you're. If if you take Bosa, you have Bosa and D Ford and then your other edge guys, and you could sort of I don't know if redshirt is the right word, but you wouldn't have to rely on polite to like you're not counting on him as a first round pick to contribute right away. You could sort of mold him into or you could try to mold him into what you need to get out of him at, and while that, he's like lower on the depth chart and, and sort of biding his time. It based on what we've seen, I, I, I don't know the guy personally. I maybe he is a just hard guys aren't boys. No, you we're not. I, I know. I know. I, I know. I often give off that vibe that me and Jakai polite hang out all the time, but he doesn't go kick it in Sacktown. No, he doesn't. Not a big, not a big Sacktown guy. When he does come okay. to Cali, he's actually Fresno loves Fresno. Okay. So, <laughs> so what, what I, what I, I think would be the issue with Polite is, A, based on his pre-draft stuff, 
I don't think the 49ers would touch him with a 30-foot pole. But even if they did, I think he would not respond well to being a rotational guy way down the depth chart. Like just yeah, based on based on his thing about how he only liked his Rams interview because they didn't bash him the whole time. I, I'm guessing they were offering like criticism of his game and like, hey, here's where you can get better. And if you respond right. negatively to that, that's that's tough because that that to me says you're never going to get better. Yeah, that does not scream um, accountability. Yeah, and that's just when that's, someone points out your issues and you uh, you sort of deflect. Like and what that, right? what what informs my answer a little bit there is the fact that John Lynch said the Niners never really even looked at Antonio Brown, a player sure. who could undeniably help their offense. Sure. And the fact that they didn't even want to trade a, a third and a sixth round pick or a third and a fifth round pick for Antonio Brown uh, lets me know that they probably would not be too interested in a guy like Pilate. Sure. So uh, Niner JD asked a second question. He actually asked multiple questions. Wow, geez, dude. Come one on. more. I <laughs> uh, said, any idea which way the Niners are leaning in round two, wide receiver, safety? I would say uh, yes. <laughs> For <laughs> wide sure. Wide receiver and safety <laughs> in round two. I, I think, I mean, if they go edge first, um, then I think they still, I mean, they obviously have a glaring need at, at receiver and safety. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's hard to know because it's going to come down to which players are available when. Um, and I, I would guess, I mean, how NFL teams work generally is that they they look at their needs and then they sort of draft players that fit those needs. And it's not always the most pressing need in the first round, the second most pressing need in the second round, et cetera. It's like, all right, we need a receiver. We'll take him either in the second round or third round or fourth round, like just sort of depending on how things stack with you know the order of their draft board so if if it's best player available if they don't need a safety as much as a receiver but there's a safety they could pick in the second round they'll take that guy right so i think yeah the the niners clearly need a safety and receiver um i don't know who they're targeting uh if i did um i would place a bet somewhere and hopefully become filthy rich uh but no i don't know which way they're going (laughs) Uh, but I would say wide receiver and safety are those uh, are are going to be day two targets, right? So have to be. So I think that if if let's say you're giving John Lynch a choice, and you say, "Hey, the top receiver or the top safety will be on the board at 36. Which do you want?" I think they probably go safety because that position is so much more important on a football field than receiver. Interesting. And I think Kyle Shanahan's, it's much easier to create productivity at receiver on offense than it is to create a productive safety on defense. And we've seen across the league, as we've talked about before, how impactful good safety play can be. So I think that's where they would go. Uh, On the other hand, I think they want to see what their group of defensive backs can do with a good pass rush. Right. That was the case I was going to make. So I think, um, I I think a a receiver is more important for the 49ers right now. Sure. Because they don't have the numbers like they do at safety. Like it's impossible to feel confident about Jimmy Ward, right? Just because of his health injury, his health issues. Um, But when Ward's healthy, he's a good player. 
And when Jaquaski Tart is healthy, he's a good free safety too. Uh, and when Marcel Harris got his chance late last year, he was good at strong safety, which might allow you to move Jaquaski Tart to free safety. Um, and you still have DJ Reed, uh, who is mostly an unknown commodity at free safety, but played it a little bit last year. Uh, but my point being, they have numbers, they have guys that can play there, and we don't really know exactly what the ceiling is on those guys. But they don't have. We, I would say, I feel confident saying that they don't have the same numbers at receiver in terms of somebody who can who can change the the tenor of the offense and and really elevate it. Right. So like, they still need a number one receiver. Losing Pierre Garcon, even though he wasn't very productive and he missed half his games the last two years because of injuries, that's like a sizable void. They don't really have anybody aside from. Kendrick Bourne, who really is a natural Z receiver. You can say Dante Pettis can play Z. Um, I think he's more of an X, and an X is more, you know, somebody who stretches the field, things like that. A Z is someone who works more underneath, more in the middle of the field. And I wouldn't count on Pettis to stay healthy or put him put himself in harm's way like that might be necessary for a Z receiver. And that was one thing that Garcon had no problem doing, was getting his nose dirty in the middle of the field. Uh, so I think if if I were to say what's a bigger need right now, I would say receiver just because they do have numbers at safety that they can throw at the position, even if you don't feel super confident there. That 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 sounds about right. Plus, in that scenario, I put out there top safety or top receiver. If right. Kyle Shanahan has his choice of wide receiver, you feel like he can turn that guy into a very productive player. And they love Jimmy Ward. They really they, like Jimmy like, Ward a lot. Kyle Shanahan actually used the word love when talking about Jimmy Ward at the combine. Adorable. So he's like, I love Jimmy Ward. So like, you know, injury issues aside, they, they have a very high opinion of him and maybe that's all fake. Maybe they're just doing that because they're, they're going to draft a safety in the second round, which they might. Um, but I don't think Shanahan would, would really make that up. I think he's, uh, he's kind of a bad liar and he doesn't, he, he's not very good at misdirection when it comes to talking to us. So I believe him when he says he loves Jimmy Ward. Um, and and frankly, like in my interactions with Ward and, and all his teammates and like everybody likes Jimmy Ward and nobody questions his work ethic or his attitude or his culture fit or anything like that or his talent. He's a very talented player. It's just he cannot stay healthy. Um, so the 49ers are hoping that they can finally get a full healthy season out of him and maybe he finally turns into you know, the player that he was drafted to be in the first round back in 2014 um, if he can get 16 games under his belt again. So we'll see. All right, guys, we've got an announcement to make. Blue Wire is teaming up with Harry's to make sure our listeners are shaving comfortably. Go to harrys.com slash bluewire to save $10 on a value trial set, which includes a five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade, a rich lathering shave gel, and a travel blade cover. You get all that for just $3 shipped right to your door. Enough with the cheap razors. It's totally worth trying Harry's. Harry's has fixed shaving by combining a simple, clean design with quality and durable blades at a fair price. Harry's founders were tired of paying for razors that were overpriced and overdesigned. Harry's bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making quality blades for over 95 years. Join the 10 million who have tried Harry's. Claim your trial offer by going to harrys.com slash bluewire. All of Harry's blades come with a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know and they'll give you a full refund. 
Again, make sure you go to harrys.com slash blue wire to redeem your razor for just $3. Hey, this is George Kittle and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Our guy, Jared Brown brings the next question. Love Jared. Jared, uh, he works on Bleacher Reports. Um, what is it? 400, 400 something. Anyway, read Jared Brown. Follow him, follow him on Twitter. He's our guy. He's from Santa Rosa. So he holds a special place in my heart, obviously. If you could add 10, uh, I guess we're going to call it experience points, like you would in Madden, like when you're creating a player and you could add points to different traits. Uh, if you could add 10 points to a specific trait of one specific 49er, who would you give the points to? And his example was he would give uh, he would give 10 points 10 plus points to Matt Breida for, for health and durability. Where are you Mm. going with this one? So just kind of knee jerk response is I'm going to go with that same health thing, but for Jimmy Ward, because I think if you get 16 games out of Jimmy Ward, you're, you're feeling pretty good about your free safety spot, but Um, I'll I'll have another answer. I'll have another answer in a moment. uh, Can I, can I, do the same health thing, but for uh, one Jimmy Garoppolo. Yeah, can we go that way? Yeah, you absolutely can. Because I think that's that's where I would lean. Um, Jarek McKinnon too, probably. Yeah. Um, let's see, non health. Let's let's get creative. Oh, and Quan Alexander. Uh, Quan Alexander gets a little health too. <laughs> yeah. Dante Pettis strength. Yeah, I, I would I would add some strength to Dante Pettis. I think Dante Pettis could be really good. I think he could could be a thousand yard guy if he I do too. if he stays healthy. And I think getting stronger is going to be a significant part of that. Give me give me ten speed for Richard Sherman. Okay, I think a faster Richard Sherman is is an insane player. So yeah, give me give me ten speed for Richard Sherman. Is contested catch ability one? Sure, let's go with it. Okay, so can can I add ten to ten points to? Uh, to George Kittle's contested catchability, and then maybe we're talking about like a super elite, like Gronk type, yes, receiver. I think you know, tight end in the in the red zone. Yeah, yeah. His his touchdown numbers are a little bit low for what what the rest of his productivity says, and several of his touchdowns were long catch and runs last year. Right. So yeah, I think I think that's an area that he could definitely improve, and and the Niners' offense would benefit from a lot. Hmm. Let's see some more. How about a uh, agility for Solomon Thomas? Okay, like he's an explosive athlete. He's he's good off the line, but if I he think could his bend best... the edge a little bit, yeah. And if he, you know, like a little side to side change of direction stuff, um, so it's not it's not just going forward for him. He can he he maybe is a little shiftier. Um, I, I think that would add a lot to his game as a uh, as an interior guy. Any more? I think I think Eric Armstead could use a little bit of that agility as well. It felt like there were a okay. lot of times he got into the backfield last year, and then the quarterback just kind of ran around him very easily. So sure. I think I think that would that would give Eric Armstead a necessary uptick in in pass rush productivity. I'm gonna go uh, to wrap this up. I think we'll go plus ten in speed for Kendrick Bourne. Ooh, that's a good one. Bourne's a really good short area quickness, good route runner, but just does not have the speed to really run away from guys. I think, um, and he he might be like a really really good receiver if if he did have that speed. I think so as well. 
The the one I'm going to pick, because Jared said pick one, so I think the one I'm going to pick that I think would have the biggest impact for the 49ers is I'm going to give Penn strength to Akello Witherspoon. I think Akello Witherspoon, okay. a stronger version of Akello Witherspoon, is a dynamite player. So I think uh, I think that's the route I'm going to go because I think it would help the Niners a lot. All right, I'm going to go health. Uh, I'm going to settle on health for Jimmy Garoppolo. I feel pretty good about that. Yep. All right, uh, Al Lute asks, uh, who should the 49ers consider in a tradeback scenario, assuming this is from pick number two? Uh, we've talked about this quite a bit. Um, I still think it's probably an edge rusher. I, I personally like Brian Burns of Florida State a lot. And if they did move down maybe to like six or 10 or 13, one of these quarterback needy teams, um, I think Burns would make a lot of sense. I know Montez Sweat is somebody a lot of people like. Cleveland Farrell's sort of fallen down maybe to mid first round or maybe even the early second. Yeah, his, um, his, who, who, his, comes to, who comes to your mind? His fall has been been pretty wild. Uh, AJ Brown, the receiver from Ole Miss, really stands out to me. Like it, I, like it a lot. I think that if he somehow, I I I get the feeling, and we were talking about this offline, but I get the feeling he's going to wind up going in like the early twenties, and the Niners won't have won't have a shot to get him, but. Agreed, and and he's probably the perfect replacement for Garcon. Yeah, there there are a ton of receivers in this draft that I think fit that role, but I think AJ Brown's the best of them. His sophomore year, I tweeted this out a while back, but is as incredible as DK Metcalf is. AJ Brown's sophomore year was more productive than DK Metcalf's entire career, which is which is pretty wild. I think I think he's going to be a really really good player who would fit perfectly in this offense. And if the Niners get in a position where they trade, like let's say they trade with the Giants for six and seventeen, and they take Sweat or Burns at six, and then AJ Brown at seventeen, I think they're really, really set. So AJ Brown's a guy I'm Ooh. circling for this as well. Yeah, I think if if Nick Bose is off the board, if you can, oh man, if you can get six and seventeen from the Giants to move up to take Kyler Murray, or I mean, if that's something that they even consider, uh, that would be. To get Burns and and Brown, that I think that would be a, a really good, yeah, a really good haul, and and maybe maybe you get another early round pick too out of that. Um, Josh Allen and Queen and Williams, obviously two guys expect to be top five picks. I think maybe if if the Niners trade with the Raiders back to four, I don't think. I mean, if if Nick Bose is gone, maybe it happens. Maybe the Raiders do like Kyler Murray enough to do that, um, but. I mean, I, I would guess if <clears throat> if the Niners went to four, they would have no problem taking either of those guys. I I think so as well. Uh, did uh, have we talked at all about the possibility of Quentin Williams going second, like the Niners just taking him outright? Because I yeah, I mean, we have we I think we talked about it in February how we were both sort of anti. I, I've warmed up to the idea of Quentin Williams since then, yeah. um, after the combine and after speaking with people much smarter than myself about him. Um, I wrote about it this week just from the standpoint of, okay, so, so John Lynch said that they look at all these major acquisitions they make in three-year windows, right? And, and there's a financial component to that. And we've talked about it a little bit too, but you're going to end up paying, um, I mean, at some point you have to pay DeForest Buckner or you trade him. And, and you try to get something back. If the 49ers don't want to pay DeForest Buckner, which is going to have to happen at some point over the next three years, he could, I mean, the, the Niners could sign him to a, a lucrative contract extension today. But I think the longer he puts it off, the more money he's going to make overall. And obviously 
the longer he puts it off, the more money he's going to make at the back end. Uh, he'll have more security more years down the line, the longer he waits. Right. Right. And so, um, you know, Buckner is going to get, so he has one year remaining on, on his, his rookie contract. Then he has his fifth year option, which the Niners are going to pick up, uh, in May. That's, that's pretty much guaranteed. And then it's going to be either the franchise tag or free agency or at some, like, so at some point the Niners are going to have to consider whether they want to pay to Forrest Buckner, I don't know, 18 to 20 million a season, right? right? If he continues his trajectory, if he has another, um, another double digit sack season, if, if he proves to be the player that the Niners think he's going to be, then he's going to be worth 18 to 20 million. That's just going to be what it is. The Niners might not want to do that. Yeah. And, that to me is the only reason, the only super justifiable reason for taking Queen and Williams, other than the fact that you think he's significantly better than Nick Bosa. I happen to think the Niners' entire defensive front would be better with Nick Bosa, DeForest Buckner, and D. Ford if those are your key three pass rushers, right? Right. Um, I think you could have a really good pass rusher if you have DeForest Buckner, Queen, and Williams, and D. Ford, but it it just seems like. I mean that financially, if you don't want to pay Buckner, then you draft Queen and Williams and you can justify it. And maybe you end up trading Buckner for something similar. Maybe you can get a first round pick out of it, uh, similar to what, you know, the Raiders obviously got a ton for Khalil Mack, right? They Mm -hmm. got multiple first round picks. I don't know if Buckner will get them that much, but maybe a first round pick and a package of second and thirds or something like that. Buckner is good enough to get you that in a trade. So maybe they want to do that. There hasn't been any indication that they want to do that. Right, right. Um, and I just don't see the long-term fit with paying Buckner that much money. Uh, Queen and Williams is obviously going to get paid a lot as a number two pick, and then you're investing a ton of money for interior guys when you already have Solomon Thomas and Eric Armstead. So financially, in that three-year window that, that John Lynch spoke about in terms of how the team operates when it comes to big decisions like this, I just think they're more likely to allocate those resources, that resource, a number two pick to a player that doesn't play three tech, which DeForest Buckner plays. So you could spread out the wealth and then you could, you could feel comfortable about paying Buckner um, and, and having a really good defensive front, which I think would be better than if they, if they went Queen and Williams. What'll be interesting with, with DeForest Buckner is if the Niners go the Aaron Donald route with the the LA took and they could have they wound up paying him but I think they were setting up to just franchise tag him until it was because the franchise tag number this year is 15.2 million for a defensive tackle and that is so far under what DeForest Buckner is likely to get annually so they might try and just franchise tag him a couple times because it's just cheaper to do so Right. And that might be why, you know, the Joel Siegel, who's also Khalil Mack's agent, who also waited as long as possible to, to sign a contract extension, uh, that might be their line of thinking. That like in two years from now, we're either going to get the franchise tag, which is going to be, you know, probably 15 or 16 million by that point, if the cap keeps increasing like everybody thinks it's going to going to. Uh, and then after that, you're looking at pro- probably signing Buckner to 18 to 20 million a year. Right. Whereas if you're to sign him to an extension this off season, it would probably be somewhere, you know, between 15 and 17 million. Right. And then without the extra security, you know, you could wait two years and then have two years at the back end of your next contract. 
that, you know, you're going to have more time in the league to get paid. Right. So I think, I mean, the, the only, like I said, the only way I think the 49ers really consider the Queen and Williams thing is if they decide they don't want to pay Buckner that second contract and would rather trade him down the road, which is possible. It's not impossible, but I don't see it. It would, just be, it would just be hard to justify after investing in Solomon Thomas and Eric Armstead. And, um, you know, if they had moved on from from Armstead, then I think it certainly becomes more logical. Uh, and they still might move on from Thomas. Like if there's one guy in the roster, the 49ers could trade that has value outside of maybe Jimmy Garoppolo, who they're definitely not going to trade. It would probably be Solomon Thomas because he's still on his rookie contract. You could probably still convince another team that, you know, maybe a three, four team, um, a true three, four team that thinks they could fix him and, and get more out of him than what the 49ers have gotten. And maybe even then though, you're, you're probably only getting a mid round pick for him back. Right. Next question. Next question. Who wins the cornerback two spot? Akella Witherspoon, Tavarius Moore, Jason Verrett, or a draft pick? I'm going to go Witherspoon. I'm, I just think he has the most upside. Um, and I think, they, I, I think that's who they I mean, want. Verrett. The answer is Verrett. But I just have like my confidence level that Verrett's going to be healthy for all 16 games is, is tiny. So I would guess that Witherspoon is going to get the most playing time opposite Richard Sherman, that corner, that second quarterback spot. Yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. I, I'm not sure Tavarius Moore is experienced enough. Like Akella Witherspoon pound for bound is a better player than Moore because he's been a cornerback since college. Right. But I, I don't think Moore is going to take that big of a leap this year. And I'm with you on, on Verrett's health. It's just, it's hard to imagine he, he is healthy and ready to go for all 16 games. But if he is, then yeah, he's, he's the starter. Uh, but otherwise it's Witherspoon. Okay. So uh, David, David Butte also asks, um, he asks the other question. Does a second or third round pick improve the Jimmy Ward, Adrian Colbert, uh, DJ Reed, Tervarius Moore, Jaquaski Tart situation? So he's asking how much will would a second or third round safety improve the secondary, particularly after adding to the front seven? That's a good question. Um, really good question. I would say pretty significantly because I mean we talked a lot about during free agency how the 49ers probably should have added you know, Earl Thomas or somebody of that ilk, Tyron Matthew, mm-hmm. um, rather than bring back Jimmy Ward just because of the, the injury issues. Um, I mean, if it's, if it's Juan Thornhill, if it's Nasir Adderley, if it's Darnell Savage, I, if it's Deontay Thompson, I mean, that's, those are all high end, you know, fringe first, second round prospects that they could add yeah. around that area that who would come in and compete to start right away. Um, and, and because there, I mean, I I think it would, it would be significant. I, I, I'm absolutely expecting the 49ers to do it. And I think there's a chance that that rookie would probably be the favorite to start, um, over those guys because we just, we just haven't seen it from them long enough. Like we don't know, we can't be confident that Jimmy Ward can be penciled in as a starter, um, just because of all those durability issues. That's 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 correct, and I feel like there are, there are a lot of a lot of players in this draft, a lot of safeties in this draft specifically who are versatile enough to play both spots, which only increases their chances of starting, and it allows the 49ers to kind of move some things around and 
really maximize the talent they have on that side of the ball. So I don't think they take a safety that they don't think will make an impact from day one. So yeah, I think, I think that that safety that they pick, assuming they do so will, will be an impact player right away. ND the rock asks, do the 49ers look into a Nick Mullins plus other stuff for Chris Harris trade? So Chris Harris is a cornerback for the Denver Broncos. Uh, we talked about it a little bit. Was it was it earlier this week or last week um, about the idea that Nick Mullins that going was, to that was Monday, Monday? Okay, so Nick Mullins. I mean, if if they're going to trade Nick Mullins or CJ Beathard, Denver is obviously uh, a reasonable landing spot because they don't have a good situation to backup quarterback and their offensive coordinator is the 49ers former quarterbacks coach Rich, Rich Scangarello. So Chris Harris of the Broncos would make sense in a deal. I mean, I I don't know. I think it would take. Nick Mullins and a pretty decent draft pick for Chris Harris, right? And I don't know yeah. that the 49ers would really be willing. I, I think they'd rather draft a corner than than add a veteran. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, Harris is due to make $7.8 million this year. He has an $8.7 million cap hit. He's 30 and he's an unrestricted free agent next year. I, I don't foresee the 49ers because I think they like the fact that they have uh, depth at quarterback and they have a couple of guys that they're confident they can put out there and win a game if Jimmy Garoppolo, Jimmy Garoppolo is hurt. So I don't, I don't foresee them making a deal like that. Uh, Chris Harris is obviously a really good player, but they, they don't, if they wanted to make a splash at cornerback, I think they would have done it already. They didn't seem eager to do so in, in free agency. And I don't think they're going to, they're going to trade one of their quarterback quarterbacks for a cornerback. Yeah. And if that trade did happen, I would imagine it would be around final cuts. So then you're asking, okay, is, is Chris Harris going to be able to, you know, learn the the system quickly enough to, to start and play at a high level if he spends, you know, training camp in the preseason with Denver. So um, I wouldn't, I, I definitely would be surprised if, if that happened. Um, Grant Rogers, we only got two more. Grant Rogers, do you see a scenario where Lynch and Co. take Queen and Williams and trade Solomon for, say, Jalen Ramsey or another player for player trade? If I were a Jacksonville Jaguars fan and the team traded Jalen Ramsey for Solomon Thomas, I would take to Twitter and write angry things about the Jaguars front office because I don't think that would be smart at all. Agreed. What thoughts? It would if the 49ers are going to acquire Jalen Ramsey. Going back again, I don't think that's something they would probably do at this point. But it would take if Solomon Thomas is going to be included, it's also going to include like the number 36 pick and then another pick and maybe another yeah, one. It next would be year. similar, it would be similar to the Odell Beckham Jr. trade. Yeah, right? yeah, J- Jalen Ramsey is that type of player there, and I don't think the Jaguars are aiming to shop him like that where they're just going to kind of unload him for for a lesser player and and maybe a mid-round pick. Like, it's going to take a lot to pry Jalen Ramsey away from the Jags. Yeah, he's got... Well, he is going to be a free agent after 2019. Is this right? I thought he signed a monster contract. No, I, I guess not. Believe so. Okay, so he hasn't signed his second contract yet. So... Maybe that changes things a little bit. Odell Beckham Jr. obviously had five years remaining on his contract, so that's one of the reasons why uh, he garnered multiple picks from the Browns. 
So, I mean, I don't know. I don't, Ramsey's so good. I think the Jaguars would be a little bit silly to, to get rid of him, but they don't have a ton of cap space. Um, so maybe it's something they consider. I would be shocked, though, and if it was Solomon Thomas, it would have to include a bunch of other stuff. And I'm not sure the 49ers have the assets to be including a bunch of other stuff in a trade like that. Right. Um, all right. Last question from at Cosmic CCC. C-O-Z-M-I-C-C. Kuzmich? Kuzmich? I don't know. I apologize. Uh, favorite wideout to take at 36 if Akeem Butler, Nikhil Harry, Debo Samuel, and A.J. Brown are all still available. Oh, fun. Um, so I would do it. I'm going to rank them rank real quick. Them. I, I ranked them already. I'm going to go A.J. Brown first, uh, Debo Samuel second, Nikhil Harry third, Andy Isabella fourth, and Riley Ridley fifth. Um, names I didn't include, uh, Hakeem Butler. I'm just not sure he's fast enough. I know he tested really well, but um, I don't know if he actually plays that fast and he drops a ton of passes, so that's kind of problematic. I just think AJ Brown, really good route runner, really physical, like we mentioned, played a lot in the slot, sort of fearless. Uh, same with Debo Samuel. I watched him a, at length yesterday, and he just really feels like a Kyle Shanahan kind of receiver. He's not tall. He's 5'11", but he's, I think he's, what, 215 pounds, something like that. Yeah. Uh, definitely fast enough. Really good route runner, can gain separation um, just by his change of direction skills. He also is really good after the catch, which is important in a Kyle Shanahan offense because he's able to get receivers open in space so often. Uh, and he's a, a kick and punt returner, which Kyle Shanahan likes. Obviously, he liked that about Dante Pettis. And what translates, I mean, that that translates into, you know, being good with with the ball in your hands. But I think it also just that, that the skills and quicks and change of direction and all that stuff that you need to be good at, at being a return man also works as a receiver. Um, Nikhil Harry, I just think is a good player. I don't know how well he fits the, the mold of what Kyle Shannon is looking for bigger, more physical, maybe doesn't separate as much, but maybe, um, maybe sort of a red zone target, a contested catch guy who they would like. Andy Isabella is just a flat out burner. I think he could replace Marquise Goodwin at some point as an X receiver and Riley Ridley, another really good route runner, maybe not as productive, uh, maybe a third round pick, but I know the 49ers met with him. Uh, and he enjoyed his meeting with them too. So, uh, so yeah. Five, if I were to rank the top five, Brown, Samuel, Harry, Isabella, and Ridley. Yeah, I've got I've got Brown and Samuel one two. I like Nikhil Harry more than you do. Uh, so I got okay. him third. I think his combination of of size and then just his skill set. I was always super impressed when I watched him this year. I haven't gone back and watched him, but I have a bunch of friends who went to ASU, so I watched a lot of ASU football. And I think Nikhil Harry is a, a really, really dynamite player. I I also like Kelvin Harmon from NC State. Uh, you're not a big fan, but I think that that he's one of those guys who can work underneath. Uh, he doesn't doesn't get a ton of separation, but he's big and he's really good at using his body, and he's good in the red zone. So I, I like Kelvin Harmon a lot. Uh, Andy Isabella and Riley Ridley are, are two guys that you just talked about at length, uh, who I who I am a fan of. I also. I also like Hakeem Butler more than you do. Uh, I think, uh, again, I somehow weirdly watched a lot of Iowa State this year, and he always, maybe it's just because he's big and fast, but he just always seemed to stand out, and I saw him make more incredible plays than bad ones, and I think there's more versatility to his game than just, uh, hey, he's big, throw the ball up to him. So 
I think his his skill set combined with some some coaching, some NFL coaching, and in Kyle Shanahan's scheme would be really really deadly. Yeah, I. Um, but my yeah, I just think. Go ahead. My top five are Brown, Samuel, uh, Harry, Harmon, and then Isabella. Those are my okay. Top five. All right, good. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for today. Oh yeah, it is. Uh, thank you. Thank you for listening to this very special mailbag edition of the Candlestick Chronicles podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we've gotten good reviews, and and it's it's really cool to to uh, go and see that. I, I tend to avoid like reading comments and my mentions all the time and stuff like that. But to to go on the iTunes page and to see that we have five stars and uh, and some positive reviews that really means a lot. So. Uh, I, I know we appreciate that and uh, we would love to, to get more of that from you guys um, because uh, I'm, I'll be honest, we would love to, to keep climbing these lists of sports podcasts because that's a good look for Shout it. out and to you we, guys. Yeah, shout out to you guys. And uh, selfishly, we would also like more money in our pockets. So oh, we appreciate you guys. <laughs> and we will talk to you guys next week. Bye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.